Hello everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Talks with Dolat where we aim to deconstruct the seemingly complex world of finance and empower investors to take better and relevant investment decisions. My name is Varun Fatehpuria and I'm the founder and CEO of Dolat Wealth Management. Today, we are pleased to have one of the legends of the Indian stock market industry, someone who is not really afraid to speak his mind whether that's on TV, his media interactions or through his colorful tweets on Twitter and needs no real introduction. Mr. Shankar Sharma born and brought up in a small town in Jharkhand Shankar began his investing journey very early during his college days after graduating from the Asian Institute of Management in Philippines with an MBA Shankar joined Citibank soon after he left his job to start his first investment outfit First Global and there has been no looking back since then over his three decade long career shankar has made some several marquee investments including investments in apple and amazon during its early days so without any further ado shankar ji let's get started uh, we have a lot of questions for you some from me some from our clients and some from our audience so uh, we'll keep the most obvious question to bazaar kaisa lag raha hai to the last but let's understand by your own journey of investing shankar ji you started at a time where it was very early not very popular today everyone in their own right is an investor with so much literature and resources around them what was the thinking back then at that point in time in the early 80s to start this alien thing called investing there was no there was no reason or no logic to start this career or this pursuit called uh, uh, investing it was i think pure luck and i do believe that uh, luck is nothing but your desire from inside which then the universe hears and makes certain events happen which make your desires come true and i think that's broadly what luck really means that you want something very badly there is no clear path to getting that but your desire is so strong that it it really reaches out to the universe and the universe creates opportunities out of that sheer desire so my desire back in that 81 82 time was i wanted to uh you know get very rich because i was a teenager but my father just expired and and when when you have a shock like that it is in a in a way it's a very good thing because a crisis can bring out things inside your own thinking and your personality which good times will not bring out good times actually uh, cover up the you know the real steel inside you with a lot of easy easy times easy life easy money so crisis should never be wasted in my view and that crisis of the death of my father created this desire inside me that i wanted to become very rich very sufficient financially but there was no method because i was a teenager india of the 1981 82 is a very different was a very different india than what now teenagers understand it to be but the universe created this and i'm just thankful that uh, you know it, it pointed me to the right path and uh, that was 40 years ago and it has been a fantastic home run since then so so as you mentioned obviously i think you started early but a relatively humble beginnings with you know no real solid financial uh, help from your family right at that point in time you go get your mba and obviously want to settle in a relatively more comfortable job right and that's why you go and join a city bank 
you worked there yes. for a few years but why do you decide to you know suddenly all of a sudden quit that job and start something of your own be entrepreneurial because that is really taking a leap of faith late late 1980s again entrepreneurship is something that is not really you know very sexy so to speak oh beyond it was one of the worst things you can consider as a career choice the career choice for an mba or for that matter any if you're an engineer or whatever was like you work for a bank or you work for hindustan lever or you work for tata motors work for tata steel work for state bank of india i mean those are the career options but main business karunga so you can't even talk about it because right and uh, with no real background nothing nothing there was nobody yeah. in my entire family who had ever done business and uh, i and i can tell you this i hit this fact from my mother uh, for a good one and one year or one and a half years that i had left my job in city bank because she was in dhanbad i was in bombay there is no internet there was we were not even talking the trunk calls were very expensive i would write letters so there is no way my mother could have figured out that jo mera beta mai soch rahi hu ki ek bade bank mein foreign bank mein kaam kar raha hai usne ye sab chhod ke wo ab stock market mein aa gaya hai so because i knew if i mentioned it and typical middle class mindset of india which i think is there even today ki nahi 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 ye sab ye sab nahi karna chahiye achhi achhi naukri hai fir tumhari shaadi kaise hogi and that is a common thing for mothers in india ki nahi nahi beta agar acche job mein to shaadi bhi achhi ho jayegi so it better not for them not to know and i was i think 27 when i left uh, left city bank which is a very early year age to begin an entrepreneurial career i mean it when i look back i think i must have been mad to even have done it you know and i would not do it again to be honest with you but kai bar kya hota hai ki again uh, universe points you in the right direction and you do it and it turns out to be a great great decision but uh, it i can only say this ki i would not recommend this heartily to people as a as a thing ke 26 27 saal na bina rupaye paise ke aap road pe aa jao and try and make a career out of whatever you want to do it's not easy it wasn't easy and uh, i think i think in hindsight i would probably not do it so so again something that has really stuck with us is was again late 1980s i think the indian stock market was something very different the, the, the form in which we see the market today with the exchanges the nsc and the bsc was again non existent right nsc had not really also come into its formation until the mid 1990s so how how have you seen the evolution of the indian capital markets over the last three or decades both from a regulation point of view and also uh, from from uh, from an investing uh, a penetration point of view yeah that's a good question um when i entered the stock market uh, i mean like let's say as a as a as a as an entrepreneur or not as a retail investor you know that was the bombay stock exchange era you know that was only exchange in town it was a dominant exchange one of the oldest in the world it was a very storied exchange but uh it was obviously very very uh, uh and for that time it was what it was which is you know physical uh, trading trading floor which you've seen in many movies and you know serials and all that all of that was there and more importantly it was really a closed club where brokers the large brokers used to fix prices manipulate markets you know there was a lot of stuff going on which was beyond the pay grade of most of us who were kids trying to make a career in in the stock markets and uh, and i am very happy i must say this that the government of the day which was manmohan singh uh, when he was finance minister uh, 
decided to take charge of the most important part of corporate India, which is capital markets, and bring it under government regulation because there was no SEBI when I entered. There was nothing. It was a wild west. There was controller of capital issues. We just did the IPO control. But secondary markets were all left to broker lobbies, broker cartels, and all that. And then SEBI was formed, I think, in 92 or 93. NSC was brought in, I think, 94, 95. And that was really what changed the markets, made it relatively better for younger people to be confident that this is not a rigged game, again, just in favor of the big boys and against the small, small people. That, I think, was the seminal change post the Harshad Mehta scam. When, when better regulators, I mean, regulations came in, more stringent systems came in, surveillance came in, and we are bare, and we are, we are enjoying the fruits of that vision that the government of the day did in 92, 93, 94. But again, that came out of a crisis. So you should never waste a crisis. Harshad Mehta's episode was a huge crisis in the capital market history. But we are enjoying the fruits of that crisis because right things were done by the government of the day. So again, as you as you touched upon that scam which happened, which was sort of like a seminal moment, right? I think at that point in time, as you pointed out, it was a wide west. People were making a lot of money. It was a closed club. Someone who was a relative outsider at, at any given point in time, did you really think that will I be able to, you know, break into this club? Because again, this is a big boys thing. People are so well connected with each other. And it seemed like easy money at that point in time. What was your thinking when all of these changes were taking place uh, as a relatively, you know, uh, someone from not in the industry? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point again. Uh, and I was I was a professional. I was an MBA. I was not from the old, you know, Gujarati club of brokers. I didn't even know the language when I entered this, this business. I picked it up because that was the language of the day and the ring was all Gujarati, uh, you know, lingo. But I knew one thing, while the, stack, the deck is completely stacked against youngsters, professionals like us, and back then it was not considered a great profession. It was really considered a very low profession. Now the best and the brightest want to enter this. But back then that wasn't the case. I was probably one of the most educated people in the, in the, in the, stock, in the stock Asian ring at that time. So my, my edge was this, and I thought very clearly about it, that these guys have been doing business for 20, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Okay. But, and I don't have that advantage, capital connections, anything. But I have education. I have knowledge. I have brains. And eventually, stock markets are a game of brains. They're not a game of connections. They're not a game of, you know, fixing stuff and manipulating. That It does not work. We have seen all of that come, of that go. The only durable edge you have in this business is your is what is between your ears. And I thought I was educated enough and my education kept continuing throughout my journey, continues even till today. And with that, I knew I had a fighting chance to win. And in hindsight, I can tell you this for any youngsters, your knowledge, education will beat any connections or any amount of capital anybody else has. Your capital is right here. Great, sir. So that's a great point that you make, right? Where obviously knowledge itself is something which is so critical. But in one of the interactions in with your media, you also told about the importance of having seen through multiple ups and downs, right? That is something that you cannot really learn off a book. You actually need to be able to see those drawdowns, whether that's in your portfolio 
whether that's in your client portfolio. In your three-decade long career, you have seen multiple cycles, whether that's a boom or a bust. How has that sort of affected you or changed your view about investing both personally and professionally? Because that is something which a lot of the investors today who have got into the market after COVID has just seen market go in one direction, which is up and to the right. So what is the importance of having lived through multiple market cycles? Well, I mean, I can tell you the best years in investing for any investor, they begin usually and look at the data also, right? Right from Warren Buffett or George Soros or many others. The best years are when they're in their mid 40s or even in their early 50s. And that is because if you start around your mid 20s, you've got 25 years of that data that you talk about. And this is real data. This is not hypothetical, theoretical data that, you know, if I had bought it, you know, here and I sold it there. Yeah. It was so obvious that the market was very top heavy and valuations were straight. There was mania. I shorted it there and here valuations became very cheap and what rubbish. It it's doesn't look hindsight. like that. Yeah. It was all hindsight. In hindsight, I mean, as we say that you cannot trade based on yesterday's prices. Okay. So <laughs> these are all yesterday's prices, which all look so easy and so obvious. Uh, but when you are going through that, uh, situation in real time it is brutal on both sides okay it is brutal at the bottom when things are collapsing uh, with no rhyme reason logic good companies which were trading at 100 uh, rupees will be available at 50 with no bottom inside and so that is one part but then even the in my view the more problematic part is at the height of a mania, which is in a bull market, when things are go going up 5-10% every week for you to actually take money off the table. I mean, that is frankly, in my view, more, more problematic and more difficult and uh, selling uh, a profitable position, taking profit off the table is sometimes, in fact, more, more, more often than not, more difficult than buying at the bottom. Because there, you 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 run the risk that I sold something at 100 and became 300, right? So on both sides, it is it is a it, that's why you need the 25 30 years of experience under your belt, because then this movie, you know many endings in the movie which you have seen it yourself because you were a character in the movie, you were not a character in the movie movie hall. Yeah. Okay. And there is a big difference be between being a character in the movie and being a character in the movie hall. And that is where most investors become, uh, you know, they come into their own when they enter their 40s or early 50s. Uh, and people who have entered now in the last three, four years, I'm sure they're very young. They're in the late 20s, they're in the early 30s. A lot of theories get floated around on Twitter and on YouTube every day. I mean, I don't read or look at all of them, but I it comes in your feed. So... And I can only smile that the markets do have a, a way of educating you very brutally. And it educates you most brutally when you are complacent. And I've seen it in my life. When I become complacent, the market hands out a very harsh uh, lesson to me. And today's investors will also see that happening sooner or later. And it's all going to be for their betterment. It is not a bad thing for a teacher to 
रेफ्रीमांड यू एंड बैक इन द डे टीचर यूज टू इवन यू नो स्केल से हाथ पे मारते भी थे अब शायद अलाउड नहीं है बट बैक देन इट वाज इट वाज वेरी मच डन आई डोंट सी व्हाई दैट इज दैट शुड बी अ प्रॉब्लम फॉर यू टू बी लर्न टॉट अ वेरी वेरी हैवी लेसन सो टॉकिंग अबाउट कॉम्प्लेसेंसी अगेन दिस इज समथिंग दैट वी सी अ लॉट ऑफ पीपल अराउंड us whether that's clients whether that's normal retail individual investors with the run up in the small cap and the mid cap segment in the indian stock market this year right is it again a sign of complacency the kind of rally that we have seen in this segment over the last 6 to 8 months so much driven by i would say retail investor frenzy and where do you see the market right now from that valuation perspective in the mid cap and the smaller cap segment and do you see again at some point in time will uh, will investors burn their fingers Investors will burn their fingers. I mean, that is like night follows day. You know, the only difference is on a daily basis, you know that we'll have sunshine for these many hours and we'll have darkness for these many hours. In the stock market, you can have sunshine for several days, weeks, months, even years. But inevitably, darkness comes. I mean, that is part and parcel of this whole journey of making money from the stock market. So. Uh, investors will burn their finger that's a guarantee question is when in my view uh, i see a lot of you can call it frenzy you call it call it enthusiasm you can call it optimism uh, but what i see around me and when i meet people and all that it's as if there is nothing called a bear market and that's what i tweeted uh, you know a couple of uh, weeks ago maybe 10 days ago that the biggest achievement of every bull market is to convince most people or all people that the bear market is a figment of people's imagination mm-hmm. there is no such thing aisa kuch hota hi nahi hai and i think that's where we are as investors right now that we do not believe there is anything called a bear market ki pehle hota hoga this time it's different those words usually prove very expensive so i hope and i pray because we are all invested uh, and there are a lot of things in small caps which have gone up a lot but you know selling off and exiting is very very difficult as i just mentioned okay because you run the fear that i sold too soon right i sold but from there also is that the frenzy or the optimism is running sky high there is a lot of complacency and uh, you know it it could well happen that you know in the next few months that itna bhi aasan game nahi hai so one of the areas obviously where you have a lot of expertise on is identifying those small cap companies identifying those so called multi bagger stocks right and obviously i think small cap still from the indian market perspective is a tougher nut to crack given there are again corporate governance issues you really need to have understanding of the promoter and the management uh, and the business itself today if you were to sort of like you know like tell investors or sort of like give a view about small cap investing what are some of the typical key things that you track before investing in a small cap company and how do you see it through uh, its 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 totality tell you now as larger investors we do get better management access than small investors for sure without any doubt however that by itself is not some sure shot bet of making money ultimately 
after we have made the investment, there is very little incremental things we will get in any negative things. We'll get positive things. You know, managements in India are very good communicators. They can they can tell you a great story. They can sell you a great story. Mm -hmm. uh, and thanks to our uh, our uh, you know as a country, we are good at English relative to let's say the Chinese or let's say the Koreans or the Japanese or whatever. We can talk. We Indians are brilliant at talking. So our promoters are fantastic. They can convince you know that an Eskimo needs ice. So 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 with that caveat, I must say that small cap investing, to my mind, if you're investing personal capital, is the only way to become seriously wealthy. Buying something which has already made a lot of money is not going to make you seriously wealthy. I mean, let's be very clear about it. So it can make you moderately wealthy or it can preserve your capital at best, but it was not going to make you from virtually nothing to a very wealthy person. It's not going to happen. So the only path to getting there is by buying a bunch of small cap companies. However, there will be a high failure rate within those. We hope yeah. it's not, but it will be so. I mean, it could, you could fail in maybe 60, 70% of your investments, if not more than that. And that, by the way, for every investor or would-be investor, please remember that, that for the greatest of investors in the world, it is, it is basically a statistical game in which just a very small part of your portfolio delivers the maximum returns over a period of time. And the large part of the portfolio actually uh, takes away from those returns. And you might say that, therefore, why did you not buy only that small part? And why did you have to buy the rest of the ones that did not work out? Uh, but the problem is you, you have no way to tell. You only know this in hindsight that, you know, that the things were uh, very bad for 80% of your portfolio and 20% made you a lot of money. Uh, so therefore, the law in small caps is very simple. You will need to start out with a field of 20, 25, 30 runners. If you think that you will get that one elusive multi-bagger and none of the reverse compounders, as I put it, which means that they went from 100 to zero or 10 or five, whatever, because there are many reverse compounders that are going to come up. Right now, we are in a bull market. So let's not forget, we are all looking smart. We are looking good. But I always tell people, it's not about you or me. It is just the market cycle we are in, which is yeah. making us look good. Sometimes it will turn bad. And then we will see for sure how bad things were for a lot of the companies we own. Right. But you will need to start with a larger basket and through simple statistic uh, uh, outcomes, you will get two, three, four, five. In a country like India, you will always get multi-baggers. But to get there, you will need to start with a larger field and then watch that field very carefully. There is no other way. And if anybody tells you there is this way, you know, he would not be, he or she would not be running a YouTube channel. Trust me. So, so as you pointed out, so much of the investing, I think, in the small cap space is about buying at the right valuation. But I think the selling part is something also that is that that is typically underappreciated, right? Where at what price do you sell? At what valuation do you sell? And, and as we know, you're not a typical buy and hold investor. If you do not see a couple of quarters going well, you are probably the first one to rush out of the gate. Shankarji, why is that so? I mean, why don't you give the management time to, you know, uh, see through their plans? No, I, I will give them time to see through the plans, provided that they are uh, delivering 
I'm not talking blowout numbers. They're delivering on what they set out to achieve. So if a company says that my growth outlook for the next two quarters is 5%, that's priced in. Everybody knows that. And we are, we are buying it based on that. If you deliver me minus 25%, okay, I have a problem with that because as it is, you're telling me you will not grow much. You're building capacity. You're building this and that for the next two years are going to be great. Next two quarters are going to be average. And then you underperform even very, very modest expectations. And then you don't have a good enough reason as to why you did not even meet a 5% growth expectation. You see what I'm saying? Which you yourself had given. I have not made it. I give them time. It's not that I don't give them time. But there is nothing called permanent time. It's like an employee in a company. How many quarters will your boss give you if you're not performing? I mean, the way I look at it is that, you know, six months, 12 months, no company can survive keeping a bunch of underperformers. It'll go itself out of business. It's the same in a portfolio. Why, why do I need to keep Managements that do not deliver even modest expectation because I'm spoiled for choice in a country like India. It's not that there are only five good companies. There are 500 good companies out there. You know, why, why, why waste time? You know, move on. No, fair enough. I think just switching, switching gears a bit and talking about a couple of sectors which has really caught investors' frenzies, the PSU stocks and the defense stocks, right? Uh, someone, again, who's getting into the markets probably has seen a huge run-up in PSU stocks, but I think these are only breaching levels once reached in 2008. What is what is your sort of like, you know, understanding? Is, is there an actual on-the-ground change in the balance sheet of whether that's PSU banks or PSU companies? Uh, or again, is it a more like a sentiment uh, shift in the market today? It is all, it's all a cycle, Varun. It's all a cycle, as simple as that. Things that lag for several years will have their place in the place and time in the sun. And things that outperform for a, for a number of years will be on the opposite side of the spectrum. So your banks in India, particularly the private sector banks, are exactly on the opposite side after having delivered stellar returns over 15, 20 years. They are now in the doghouse. While the, the dogs in the in the in the actual doghouse for for decades, which are the PSUs, are out there enjoying the party. It's a cycle. Things that lag will lead. Things that lead will lag, and we end up trying to you know over intellectualize this. But it's part of a cycle. When the cycle turns for the better for any group, then the stories follow. That our governance will change. PSUs may be a balance sheets cleanup. Government is very pro this pro that. I have not believed ever that buying a PSU is going to make you wealthy. They might be trades. They are not investments. And hey, I could be wrong. But like I said, I don't have to be right on things I don't own. I have to be right on only the things that I own. And I've never owned any public sector bank or company. And I'm, I've been generally happy having had that perspective. Now, maybe they become the greatest investments after Amazon and Apple. But that's okay. I mean, I don't have to necessarily buy everything that goes up. And the same goes for defense. I do not believe that when government is my only buyer, okay, or in this case, uh, as far as I know, there's not that much export opportunities yet. It's largely a domestic market. And where defense budgets are permanently under pressure in India, and I don't see that changing ever, 
uh, with single buyer tender situations you know obviously we know when dealing with the government there is always going to be the stench of corruption hanging over any transaction any deal any tender you never know when a company you bought who had won a great tender from some agency in the government to supply whatever some equipment to the army or whatever and then Two years later, there is a CBI investigation saying they paid money and the promoter is behind bars. I mean, how can you ever predict all of this? But that remains a real risk when companies get business from the government of India. I can tell you this. And it will happen. Give it time. Right now, we are in, again in a euphoric zone. Two years, three years later, you'll find that it's a company, but it's a company, but it's a company. Why do we need to go out so much into the danger zone? It's good enough. So, hey, you want to play that game, by all means do it. I'm not doing Great. Uh, just taking a step back, Shankarji, and last couple of questions. Today, again, we are seeing a lot of global institutional brokerages being extremely, extremely optimistic about India. Partially, we are seeing it is some sort of an allocation shift in the emerging market allocation from China to India. And some also also has to do with the underlying macroeconomic story. In your conversations with, let's say, investors, both domestically and institutionally, what is your view about the India growth story? And is there a genuine shift that we are seeing from an allocation point of view of global capital? So here is the thing. Uh... And again, each time we are in a bull market, uh, all these opinions become very pro-India, okay? I have been around from the time FPIs first or FIs back then started investing in India. And they have always been positive on India. Always, always. Over a 30-year, whatever the number of years they have been around, I think 95% of the years it has been inflows into India. You know, there have been occasional years which are outflows, but they're aberrational. So it's nothing new that, that foreign investors, you know, that foreign investors find India attractive. You know, we have seen this story over 25, 30 years, and they've they have found it attractive for very good reason. It's not, it's not a reason without 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 basis. I mean, it's not it's not a logic without basis. India has got a fantastic ecosystem, great number of large, medium-sized, small companies, very entrepreneurial people in general. The size of the economy when I entered the market was $200 billion, the whole GDP, okay? Today, it's $3.7 trillion, and we add $200 billion every year in GDP. What used to be the, the GDP of the entire country when I, when I started my, my career, uh, we are going to definitely be one of the world's topmost powers in the years to come. We have great uh, educational infrastructure in all the IITs and the IIMs, and now several other institutions. We have, we have, we have. I mean, very intelligent people. We dominate the global listings of top CEOs in the world. So what's there not to like about India? And that's the reason I why I entered this business in 1989. Hmm. What we see today is not new. I saw this India. Saw exactly this India 34 years back. Hmm. And I'm not wrong. So, hey, nothing has changed. India will remain a fantastic country to make money in through business and therefore through the stock market. Great, Shankarji. And I cannot let you go before asking, again, one of the most commonly asked questions of Indian investors. I think, uh, Bazaar kya lag hai? It's like, how do you am, answer that I question? Am, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one that is always going to come back and haunt 
thank you whichever whichever answer you give so but let me let me say this i do believe that is a good time to take some money off the table okay uh, because most of us have made a lot of money in the last few months time it's it's prudent and wise to take 10 20 30% off the table even if stocks keep going up after that take the money off the table go and enjoy yourself with friends and family market is there to finance your lifestyle not to just yeah. keep multiplying that money without ever having enjoyed the fruits of that so that's my parting advice to investors take some money off the table great awesome so obviously i think uh, this is something that we can only expect from you uh, to being so direct and uh, being uh, yeah so open and candid about your views it was great having you on our show today and to all the audience today you have been watching shankar ji for over many years i think this is something that is not new but uh, if you if you liked this interview please uh, subscribe to our channel and give us a thumbs up on our youtube and we'll see you into the next one Thank you Varun thank you for having me and all the very best to your viewers